Hi everyone, Joe Ordia here for Solar Surge, and today we're coming to you from Enphase headquarters in Fremont, California. And this morning I'm joined by Raghu Balor, co-founder and chief product officer here at Enphase Energy, and we're gonna be talking about all about the future roadmap for the Enphase IQ solar system. So Raghu, welcome to Solar Surge. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Joe, thank you for coming. We're really excited. I've seen a lot of your videos, obviously, online, and. You do an amazing job, and I'm just super excited uh, that we are chatting, actually, sitting here one-on-one -on -one and talking about, uh, you know, whatever you want to ask me, we can talk about. We can talk about the future of where Enphase is going and uh, the future of, uh, really, the energy infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you so much for the invitation, too. Um, just very honored to be invited to come here and, and kind of get a behind-the-scenes access, so to speak. And, uh, and I'm sure many of the audience members are going to be very excited to hear about just, you know, where Enphase is going. Um, as you probably gather, a lot of our audience are big Enphase fans. It's one of the, it's one of the brands that's most mentioned by name specifically mm -hmm. if people want this specific brand. And um, I think you have a reputation of really being on the leading edge of solar technology, particularly solar inverter technology, but also now we're talking about batteries, we're talking about uh, EV charging, just electrification in general. Mm -hmm. And so really looking to, to, to hear more from you about that. So I guess, Raghu, if we could just start off a little bit for those that don't know you, can you tell me what, what led you to want to start this company? And what has it been like going from the, the early days to where we are today? Yeah, it's been a long, long journey. Um, yeah, the company, Martin and I started the company back in 2006. Uh, we were both doodling on a whiteboard uh, on what we were going to do next in 2005. Being from this area, Silicon Valley, the greater Silicon Valley, um, you know, we, we, we worked at startups our entire career. Enphase was my startup number five, right? And for Martin, it was going to be startup number six. And so it's just very ingrained in us to go work at or start new companies. And the, but the thinking, the motivation's always the same. You always look around and say, hey, what problem can I solve, right? Or if you see something, you're always thinking, as an entrepreneur, I can do that better, right? And so when we were looking around and we looked at how solar was being done, um, we immediately hit upon, hey, there's a better way to do solar energy systems, right? And uh, and the specific area that we were focused on was power conversion. There was a lot of people, there was a lot of venture investment going into modules, right, mm -hmm. onto solar panels. But nobody was paying attention to the inverter. And we realized that that inverter technology hadn't substantially evolved in, in decades. So we said, no, there's a better way to do it. And, you know, we are a product of our experiences, right? So in our past experience, what we had, we had um, come to realize is that the way technology evolves, right? Technology evolves in a manner where, where it becomes more distributed or more decentralized, right? A lot of technology proof for that, right? If you look at mainframes to PCs, it used to be everything was done in a mainframe. Now, more and more, there's a lot of intelligence now within the PC, the end point, the person, the individual. Uh, same thing with phones. Right? There used to be these plain old telephones that you picked up and there was a central office where everything, all the processing was done in a centralized manner. What do we have now? We have smartphones. So much intelligence in that device. Again, intelligence at the end point. If you walk into a data center, you don't find one big giant monolithic compute. 
what you find is thousands and thousands of replicable blade servers. So in the long run, technology evolution is such that it becomes more and more decentralized. The endpoint become very, become, endpoints become very intelligent. They make autonomous decision. They make up decisions to localize, uh, to optimize locally, but are hyper aware of everybody else on the network and can help in contribution to the network. Long story short, we looked at, looked at string inverter in the, in the solar inverter technology and said, that's done in a very centralized manner. It really should be completely distributed. And that was the genesis of the thinking around micro-inverters. Instead of doing everything centralized with a box inverter, we're gonna break it up into micro-inverters and do all the power conversion at the panel, push the intelligence up into the panel itself, uh, but we're gonna do a couple of things differently than what was done before with micros. The first one was we were gonna make it a digital device. We're gonna rely heavily on our custom semiconductors, rely heavily on software. We're gonna have communications infrastructure. We're gonna have gateway, we're gonna have cloud software. We're gonna turn this whole thing into a system. So that was really the original thinking. But we were, but our thinking was broad in that we never named the company Enphase Solar. We knew we were solving a bigger problem. We just didn't know the details of it. So that's why we named the company Enphase Energy. So. Long answer, but uh, that was really the, 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 the genesis of the thinking. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's, it's gotta be exciting too. I mean, you know, going back to 2006, having that vision, and now starting to see a lot of that vision actually manifesting into tangible products. I know I've been in solar now for about 10 years, maybe close to 11 years now, and just in the last decade that I've been here, I've seen tremendous innovation in the yeah. technology, mm -hmm. and also I think just a, a cultural change where a lot of these technologies that may have been considered kind of just a fringe thing for, for just, you know, technology enthusiasts, now a lot of these things are becoming mainstream. Yeah. And so that's very exciting to be a part of that. So can you speak a little bit about to that as well? You know, what's your take on what's happened in the last 10 years in terms of um, the, the more mainstream adoption of this technology? And where do you see things going in the next 10 years? Yeah, you know, let me, let me, let me start with an articulation of, a thought that crosses my mind occasionally, right? If Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla, or Westinghouse were walking down the street of any town USA or Fremont, California, and they looked up at the energy infrastructure, they would recognize all elements of it. They would recognize those transmission lines, the, the substation, the distribution infrastructure, the transformers, the service entrance, the main panel they would recognize all parts of it. I joke, hey, Edison probably worked on that round glass mirror at GE, right? How can a technology, while it, is, it was a 20th century marvel, not evolve in the last 120 years? Tell me a technology in our lives that have not evolved in, in the last 20 years. We should see massive change in the energy infrastructure, in the energy landscape, uh, more change than even what we have seen in the last 10 years, which has been quite tremendous. We're gonna see even more change coming in the future. And if, uh, if we are on the right side of history, the change technology history, it means that this infrastructure will evolve into something that's fully decentralized or distributed, which means that the end point here in this case is that home that home's gonna become really 
much more intelligent. It's going to make autonomous decisions. And the homeowner is going to have unprecedented level of control and autonomy on their energy system, right? There are a number of things that are driving that change. And that, you know, that change and moving the, the whole infrastructure from something that's centralized to decentralized to a distributed infrastructure where the home, on, home is the unit of intelligence is where Enphase really plays a major role. And that evolution, that change is very exciting. And I think you're gonna see even more change in the next 20, 30 years uh, than what we have seen even in the last 10 years. This whole energy infrastructure is gonna change massively. It's not gonna look anything like what it even looks today. And being in the midst of that change is always exciting, particularly for an, for an entrepreneur, we're always thinking about, oh, here's the next cool idea, and the next cool idea, and the next cool thing that we can do to, um, uh, to affect and influence that change and actually participate in it. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. And, and it, this is the thing that really drew me to solar was, was that this was a technology that gave me more control over my life, particularly in my, my energy situation, but that's a big part of our lives. Our, our lives, modern lives are very energy dependent. And um, I, think it was, I think it was Bill Gates who, who once said that, you know, people will always embrace technology that gives them more control over their lives. And at the time, I believe he was talking about why, why personal computers were going to catch on. And he was right about that. If I've got that quote correct, he was right about that. But I see solar as another one of those technologies, mm -hmm. similar to smartphones and social media, but it gives us more control over our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I'm naturally drawn to that. Um, I also think it's one of the, one of the rare cases where the, the, the government is also incentivizing people to adopt these technologies that, that give them more control over their lives that actually allows them to withdraw a bit of their dependence on this sort of old centralized monopolistic utility system that we have. And uh, at least for me, that's, that's my main motivator to this. So, so, so what does this look like? If we can kind of paint a picture for people five years from now, 10 years from now, how does the electrified home look different than what we have today? It looks very, very different. And you know, this is the, um, the need of the hour. It's not that it's a nice change or just technology softly evolving into something like a distributed smart home. Um, we, we, we are living in unprecedented times. I mean, climate change for, for some of us, we really believe in it. We, and for me, it's very personal. I really need to make sure that I leave the planet to my 13-year-old my, 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 my daughter in a place better than what, you know, what, uh, how we inherited it. And I think we can, right? Um, so the, the confluence of changes are there is peop the people want to control their own energy. They want to be in control of their own destiny, right? Dependency on, on, on foreign kilowatt hours, right? Foreign energy. We want to get away from that, right? We want to be able to um, control our own destiny in that sense. Um, we know the impact of climate change, right? That is substantial. Um, we also recognize that due to some of these changes, you're starting to see something that is really hitting your wallet. Cost of electricity is going up tremendously. Uh, the grid is becoming less reliable due to you know, weather-related issues primarily. Um, right? We are seeing in California things such as wildfires, et cetera. And so all of those things are driving big change. And to be very specific, what we are seeing is that the homes are getting electrified. So what that means is that 
the, the biggest electrification that's taking place in the home is cars are becoming EV, now being, becoming electric, right? So people, instead of having a gas-powered car, a gasoline-powered car, are now looking at electric vehicles. EV adoption is growing at a tremendous rate. And it's not one EV. People are buying two EVs. Uh, people are looking at uh, you know, their, their gas-powered water heater and saying, hey, I should go electric on the, on the gas-powered water heater. Uh, your air conditioning and heating, right? That's people are moving to heat pumps. Adoption of solar and heat pumps, et cetera, means that, sorry, uh, uh, adoption of electric vehicles and heat pumps, et cetera, means that the consumption per home is going to more than double. So an average home in the U.S. consumes about 30 kilowatt hours of energy per day, right? If you, an electric vehicle and a typical commute is going to be another 12 to 15 kilowatt hours a day per car. Right there, you've got another 25 to 30 kilowatt hours per day. Add a heat pump, that's another 10 to 12 kilowatt hours. You have more than doubled the energy demand. The second problem is that energy demand is not uniform through the day. It's very peaky, right? It may happen in the morning, then we all go to work, and the kids, the ducker, right? You see it again, becomes very peaky in the evening, right? Um, so how do you service this change? This change is massive. It's coming very quickly. How do you do it? If you go back and think about first principles, you know, you can go out there and rip out that entire distribution infrastructure. It's going to cost, you know, trillions of dollars to do. It's going to be very disruptive. It's really not practical. If you really think about it, renewables, solar, batteries, load management, are really the only way to achieve that. If I can produce my own energy, if I can store my energy to use it at the appropriate time, if I'm smart about how my car charges, I can really solve that big significant problem that we were talking about. Car, and, and that evolution into this energy system, now it's not just, hey, I put solar on my roof, I got solar, I got batteries, I got EVs, I need to be smart about when I charge my EV, I need to be smart about when I run my air conditioner, heater, etc. requires a very sophisticated software system in order to federate power flow on an instantaneous basis and an ongoing basis in order to deliver whatever the homeowner chooses, right? This is about homeowner choice. The homeowner may choose pure economics. Give me the best economics possible. I'll make certain decisions based on the best economics for the homeowner. Some home, another homeowner may choose, I'm willing to compromise a little bit on my economics, but I want to be completely carbon neutral, right? That means I never want to charge, and as an example, never want to charge my car from the grid because I don't believe the grid is green. Whereas I want to use my own solar and either directly to charge my car or use my solar from my battery <laughs> to, charge my, to charge my car. So all of those things are possible with a really sophisticated home energy management system that takes all of these disparate elements, your solar, your batteries, your EVs, your heat pumps, and also manage the grid. Because there may be times when it may make sense for me to buy from the grid. Sure. There may be other times when it may make sense for me to export to the grid, right? Mm -hmm. Takes all of these things into account. This is what I mean by turning that home, which was purely just a consumer into, of energy, to something much, much more sophisticated. Because think about it, I may have, this is a problem of abundance. We talked about it earlier on. Mm -hmm. I have plenty of sun. This is not a problem of 
shortage, right? We have plenty of sun. And I may choose at some point to export my energy, transact my energy, sell my energy to the grid, right? So those are all really intelligent economic decisions that the software algorithms have to make to make their home really, really intelligent. And that's where we are going. So, and that's great. And I'm just trying to, to, I guess, visualize what does that look like? So is this a problem that is solved just by using the microinverters? Or what, what are the other technologies then that have to come together in this new, this new distributed energy ecosystem that you're describing here? Yeah, it's many elements to it. You know, of course, microinverters are very specific in that they do power conversion up on the roof. They invert. They take DC from the solar panels and convert that into AC. But those same devices are also in our batteries. They are fully bidirectional. What that means is I can move power from, both from the DC side into the AC side and move power from the AC side into the DC side. That same microinverter. So I put those same microinverters in, inside our lithium-ion batteries. What that allows us to do is intelligently discharge the battery when needed, intelligently charge the battery when needed. That same technology will even go into are EV chargers, because the future is where the EV chargers will become fully bidirectional. I have a lot of batteries in my EV, and under certain circumstances, I normally just charge my EV under certain circumstances in an emergency, et cetera, I may choose to discharge my EV as well, and allow the EV to participate in this energy management system, which is in the home. So you can see how the home and the energy management has to become that much more sophisticated in order to federate all of this power flow. So in phase, we got our start doing microinverters for the roof. Mm -hmm. We built a platform, microinverters, the communication plat communications infrastructure, the gateway, the cloud. But now we have expanded that notion of a platform to accept batteries. So now I can intelligently charge and discharge my battery. EVs, I can be very smart about how I charge my EV. When do I charge my EV? What source of energy do I use to charge my EV? At what rate I charge my EV? And soon the EV is going to become bidirectional. Uh, you're aware how much change is taking place in the grid itself. For example, if you look at California, and California is moving to the new net metering rules called NEM3, um, there I have to be very smart about how I manage my interaction with the grid. So you're seeing just the level of sophistication in the home increasing exponentially, and this is where companies like Enphase come into the picture and say, okay, we'll manage all of that. We'll generate, the solar, we'll generate solar energy, we'll store appropriately in your batteries, we'll charge, discharge your EV appropriately, we'll manage the transaction mm -hmm. with a grid appropriately. But all of that complexity needs to be hidden from the homeowner. It's all behind the scenes. The homeowner's interaction, if they so choose to, they can go in and geek out on it and go deep into the bowels of how the system operates. We well, give them is, that control as well. So yeah. Sure there will be some people, There'll be some people who do that and they're absolutely welcome to do that. They can go into the Enphase app and they'll get unprecedented level of visibility and control or they may just go, just do it for me. Make sure you deliver the best economics or whatever use case the homeowner may choose to and we take care of everything in the background. Well, this is exciting, you know. Uh, and again, and you, you know, you touched on a couple of different motivators, whether it's self-sufficiency, whether it's environmental, wanting to be carbon neutral, but 
But you know, the way I describe it to a lot of people is that you know, by adopting this technology, you can put yourself in a position where you can now take or leave the power grid on your terms, not on their terms. Yep. And in many cases, the utility grid can become sort of just a last resort option only, where using your own solar, your own battery, which now could, could potentially in the future be your EV battery, which mm -hmm. you also have. Um, but again, it's another thing that you have custody and control mm -hmm. over, right? It's your battery, it's in your, yeah. it's in your garage. You're not dependent on the gas station yeah. operator. You're not dependent yeah. on fuel supplies to your town. You've got it right there on your property. You've got custody of your energy yeah. system. And that's what's so exciting, you know, for somebody like me. Um, now, I know that the, the bi-directional EV charger technology is still sort of in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that maybe we may not have any specifics yet on, on pricing or when exactly it's going to be available. But for those out there that are particularly interested in bi-directional electric vehicles, particularly those, maybe they're considering, well, do I invest in a stationary home battery today? Maybe the 10T, the 5P? Uh, or do I just wait for a bi-directional um, electric vehicle setup? What, what would you say to that person now? Yeah, um, absolutely you need stationary battery. The EV battery doesn't replace the stationary battery for the simple reason that EV's primary goal is transportation. It's not guaranteed that the EV will be home when I have excess solar production. I need to charge those batteries so that when the EV comes home in the evening after coming back from work, that I can just simply plug my EV in and then I can charge my EV from the energy that I have stored. So I don't ever see stationary batteries going away. In fact, I would argue that the more EVs you, you, that get deployed, the more stationary batteries are required because I can never perfectly guarantee that this EV will always be at home, right? In fact, I think that EV, again, going back to the original premise around electrification and this two and a half X demand per home, um, this increase of two and a half X demand in electricity per home, primarily driven by EV, means I need a source of energy. And like you said, the utility becomes a source of, it's a last resort. I want to be in control of everything that I do, which means I have my own solar system. And every time I buy any, for every EV I purchase, I actually increase my solar system a little bit because I need that much more energy. I need another 10 kilowatt hours or 12 kilowatt hours per day. And those 12 kilowatt hours need to be stored somewhere because I can't guarantee the EV will be there. So every, I buy an EV, I increase my solar a little bit, I, I, add it, I add a 10 kilowatt hour battery or a 12 kilowatt hour battery or 15 kilowatt hour battery, and I can charge my EV. So I, so I think they're all complementary. They all work together. EV has that extra kilowatt hours, and in an, in an emergency now I have, I can ride through long-term emergencies because between the stationary batteries that I have and the EVs that I have, I have plenty of, plenty of energy. The one thing I want to be very sensitive about is, you know, the, the, the utilities have done a good job in building out this infrastructure, right? Our success, our industry's success, solar industry's success is not dependent on them not succeeding. They also have to succeed. But the big thing is that they have to change. They have to be changed, right? Mm. Uh, there has to be change. They have to change the way they operate. They have to change business models, et cetera. Because finally, if you look at California and look at the net metering rules in California, in some sense, it's a coming of age of our industry. Because for the first time, the, the PUC is saying, listen, 
you are a significant participant in the energy infrastructure, you as in solar industry. You guys are a significant participant in the energy infrastructure. And so what, when you export energy into the grid, as an example, if you do it in the middle of the day, when there is a lot of kilowatt hours, I just don't value those kilowatt hours as much as I do it if you were to export it when there's a lot of demand and the grid is stressed. So in some sense, one way to look at it is that we finally have a seat at the big boy table, <laughs> right? We are there now, we are having a conversation, we are discussing, saying, hey, we are a significant provider of energy, and, and as a result, um, we should be a market participant in the energy trading, whether, whether we are buying energy or selling energy as needed, right? So particularly as we are selling energy, as we are transacting energy with us and the network. So I think the business model is evolving for the utilities, but it needs to evolve at a much faster rate. We can't wait for another 125 years for <laughs> things to change. They need to change fast, right? And I think NEM3 um, um, is an example of where we are going in this world, I think. Well, Raghu, I've got so many, so many questions that come to mind that I'd, I'd love to pick your brain about, but let, let, let's talk about NEM3, because yeah. I think that the rest of the industry, or the, the rest of the country, does view California as, as a trendsetter in terms of solar policy and net metering policy. Uh, and you touched on another point, which is that now we have a seat at the big boys table, so to speak. Solar is considered a, a significant energy contributor, or a significant mm -hmm. you know, contributor to the electricity on the grid. With that is coming equal treatment, meaning that mm -hmm. when we export electricity to the grid, now we're only going to be paid the wholesale rate, yeah. which is what nuclear power plants are paid the wholesale rate when they export to the grid. They're not being paid this artificially inflated retail price that the utilities were forced to pay for net metering. So, and I don't want to get into a political argument about what's right or wrong about that. I'm personally, I'm, I'm more of a free market guy. So philosophically, I'm not opposed to NEM3. I think it makes sense as the industry matures and we become a real big boy energy provider. So, so what does that mean then for those that want to be self-sufficient, both, you know, in terms of physically becoming self-sufficient with their energy, but also in terms of becoming economically, financially self-sufficient, what does that mean in terms of how solar needs to be deployed in the future, if what just happened here in California with NEM3, if that becomes the standard throughout the country? I think, you sh I think you absolutely should expect that this will become the standard throughout the country over time. I, California has always been um, a leader in, in, in these things, and some of these decisions are hard. And I've been on the road now, I've met 750, 800 people here in California, installers, partners in California, and my, my message has been, yes, it's a little bit painful right now. Every time there is change, it's a little painful. However, this is exactly how we want it to be in the long run. We are no longer you know, beholden to them because they were giving us a big incentive in the middle of the day. We are going to be paid wholesale rate if you export energy into the grid in the middle of the day. Um, when there is significant amount of stress on the grid, because there's a lot of load on the grid, it's in the middle of the summer, middle of summer, air conditioning loads coming on, the demand on the grid shoots up a lot, I should be compensated if I can help the grid out. I should be rewarded handsomely if I can a, either reduce the kilowatt hours I consume, and or I not only do I reduce my kilowatt hours I consume, I in fact export energy into the grid so that you can then utilize that energy to alleviate the stress on the grid, right? 
The beauty of all of this is the industry is ready. We have the technology to manage this exactly, and that's called batteries, right? So in the middle of the day, when I don't get paid a lot to export, when I, when I no longer can use the grid as a battery, what do I do? I have the technology. I, build, I have my own batteries, and I store my energy in the middle of the day, and then later on in the evening, particularly in a time of use environment, as an example, where if you look at SDG&E territory, San Diego Gas and Electric, I, you, know, you get charged 82 cents a it's kilowatt crazy. hour. It's, it's insane rate, right? What is the grid telling you? It's signaling. I'm a, by the way, I'm a total free market proponent myself. I think that's right. They are charging you 82 cents per kilowatt hour because the demand is very high. It's simple. It's a, it's a question of supply, supply and demand, demand right? Yeah. Demand is high. They're charging you very much. How do you deal with that? How do you counter that? You go, I don't need to buy from you. I have a cheaper source of energy. I just stored all my battery. I just charged up my batteries in the, mid, in the middle of the day. I have plenty of sun. Nobody can argue about sun not being there in San Diego. There's plenty of sun in San Diego. I charge up my batteries in the middle of the day. And now I'm using those kilowatt hours during the high rate. And the, and the, and the carrot, that's the stick. The carrot to it is, I have all this excess energy. I can take care of my needs and have energy left over and I know my battery is going to recharge the next day because the sun's going to come out. I can forecast all of that. I can forecast my consumption. I can do all of those things. This is where the intelligence of that energy management system comes in and I can say, listen, take that excess energy that I have. Let's support the grid. Let's give it to the grid as long as we get paid appropriately for it. And you do. In, in September, under NEM3, you can get paid as much as $2.68 a kilowatt hour if you export uh, energy into the grid. It's fantastic. This is what free market does. Supply and demand, and if you have a very intelligent system, you can really, you know, uh, it results in very healthy economics. So, as the world moves towards this notion of market-based pricing of the grid, and how we as an industry, our industry reacts to it, I think we have the technology. The technology is called a battery. Um, soon EVs, right? I could then, in the middle of the day, if the EV is at home, I can charge up my EV as well. Why? Those electrons are very inexpensive electrons, right? Um, potentially discharge the EV and support my home in the middle, in, in late evening when I have to, rather than pay 82 cents per kilowatt hour, I can do all of those things. And all of that technology is available. I could do some load. I mean, I need to be intelligent about how I manage my consumption as well. I don't need to be, you know, uh, running heavy non-essential loads at 5 p.m. in September because it's not the smart thing to do, right? Um, so I think you're seeing this evolution, and I think this evolution to market-based pricing, this this evolution of you know the adoption of technology within the home. I think is, 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 is going to be the game changer, and I think it's coming in a big way, and we are in the midst of that change. Um, but I do want to point out one thing, though, right? We talk about all of this change. We talk about solar growing at a fantastic rate. We see the adoption of batteries. But yet, when you take a step back and you look at it, solar is at 4% penetration in the US. That's pathetic. 96% of the homes in the US don't have solar today. We have a long ways to go, and the thing is we don't have enough time because we cannot breach those one and a half degrees C uh, global temperature by 2050 because that 
can become somewhat irreversible. So it's really, really vital that we go out there and deploy as much solar at homes and businesses as possible. It's the need of the hour. Well, on that note, you know, we're, we're now sitting here in 2023. I remember when I, when I first heard the announcement, it, it felt like it was such a long ways off, but we're here now in California, 2023. It's, it's mandated that new homes have to have solar here yeah. in California. Do you think it's much further along before new homes have to have battery storage as well? No, in fact, there are some, um, um, not incentives, but programs that encourage new homes to have batteries as well, because it just makes economic sense, right? I think at the end of the day, what's really important is for that adoption to grow from that 4% number up to something substantial, 30, 40%, um, it has to be economics-based, right? Yes, the early days of solar, we all did it, because I did it myself, because it was the right thing to do. But it needs to be more than just the right thing to do. Um, you know, it needs to be economically beneficial to do solar. When I say solar, I mean solar and batteries and EV adoption, et cetera. And so I think um, you're going to see that happen. New homes is one example of it. There's some bill in, bill in California, I think, that says that by 2025 or 2026, all EVs must be bidirectional, must be capable of being bidirectional. Right? So I think more needs to be done. People need to recognize that, hey, this is the need of the hour, but at the same time, they have to do it for economic reasons, right? not just for, hey, the reasons of, some of the reasons that why I would do something, right? But we need to make sure, that's why, as an industry, and that's why Enphase in particular, we are constantly innovating to increase reliability, to drive down to drive down costs, to make the systems very, very simple to install, um, increase the performance of all of these systems, build a platform where we can bring all of these disparate elements in so we can control all of them to deliver whatever the use case the homeowner desires. So it, I, being a technologist, I know technology can solve most, if not all of these problems, right? And so, and that's very interesting. That's very exciting. Well, folks, this has been an interview with Raghu Balor, co-founder of Enphase and chief product officer here. Uh, and this has been a nice glimpse into what the future electrified home will look like, particularly using some of the Enphase IQ products that we've been covering here. And we look forward to get more information to you uh, as these new products become available. Uh, but it's going to be a very, very exciting future. Raghu, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for coming. And you know, we are, we are super excited about really bringing new products and new innovative technologies to the market. And uh, that's what we do. That's what gets us excited. That's what gets me out of, uh, uh, out of bed every morning. So excited. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me out to California. I really appreciate the behind the scenes access. And we're going to be doing some more filming all day today with some of the new Enphase IQ line. So we really do appreciate that. But folks, that pretty much does it for today's interview. Uh, thanks again. As always, I'm Joe here at Solar Surge, encouraging you to get prepared and be empowered. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you on the next video.